Welcome to another episode of In the Zone. I'm your host, Garrison Roy, and we have Matt Malden on this episode today. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about you know your past playing career, what you did to stay in the zone there, and then also what your zone is now. Absolutely. Well, it's good to see you, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, started playing, um, you know, very young age, T-ball coach pitch you know the the whole deal and then I had an opportunity to play in college I started at division two school Um, the baseball was fun but the school wasn't really my thing so uh, (laughs) you know that usually doesn't work out so we made we made the school our thing though we did our little biomechanics uh, thing you kind of picked up and did some some uh, gin pop where I had the actual pitchers in there yeah yeah we uh we got back on the school thing after, after a couple of years. Um, yeah. so I actually worked a couple of years, uh, about two years and didn't play and decided I want to get back into it. I missed the sport. Um, mm-hmm. knew kind of, uh, that was what God was calling me to do. So went to a JUCO Wake Tech community college, um, played two years there. I thought my, uh, career was over after that because I'd started division two NCAA school and I thought division two was on a time clock like division one but mm. actually division two is a semester rule so um i lost two semesters but i didn't lose my whole career so um uh the coach for winston-salem state university uh kevin Ritchie, he came up uh to watch me play and he told me he had looked into it and i actually had um a couple more semesters of eligibility left after i finished at wake tech so which is solid yeah yeah, yeah. We ended up we ended up pitching, or I ended up pitching against you guys because I remember that I was right along the same lines as you, dude. Like I had like maybe one other offer, and Winston hadn't even offered me yet at the time. Whenever I was playing, and I was like, "All right, well, this might be my last start, my last outing ever." And go nine innings, hundred twenty something pitches, and my arm was never the same after that. <laughs> yeah, just leave it all out there, man. I had to. Yeah, I do. Yeah. That was fun. I, yeah, I remember playing you and then, then uh, Landon Steiner as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always fun. It was cool to see you guys when I, I got there to Winston State. Like, oh, I've seen you guys before. Yeah. Um, I'd be like, hey, I know these guys. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're my teammates now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, so finished up at Wake Tech, uh, went to Winston State, and um, – I actually changed my, my majors there. This is when I kind of got into my academics. So I, I had an associates of engineering coming out of Wake Tech. I thought I was going to be a mechanical engineer okay. um, because I loved physics. I loved the way um, mechanical systems move and, and the math behind it and figuring all that out. Um, but when I got to Winston State, there was no engineering program. Um, and that was one of the things I had to think about when I accepted the, the offer from there is, mm-hmm. you know, what am I going to do academically? Because um, I don't want to just have baseball um, I was decent, but I didn't plan on going pro. So I, I thought about that hard and I said, well, I love athletics. That's always been a passion of mine. Both of my parents were strength coaches. So, um, 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was a, uh, he was a strength and conditioning coach in NASCAR for a couple years. I didn't work in NASCAR. I forgot he was a strength coach. That's really cool. That's a lot. Well, like one sport you don't really think about. Hey, do these guys actually need strength training? Like, yeah, they got to have a lot of stuff, especially when they're going around. If you've ever drove on a NASCAR track before, you know how much core control you need to even just hold yourself up. Yeah, yeah, and especially the pit crews. Um, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was actually the first. He was actually the first NASCAR pit crew strength conditioning coach ever. Um, That's kind of cool. led the way on that one. Um, and and they actually get a lot of now. They actually get a lot of like D1 football players that couldn't either couldn't quite make it in pro um, or just decided they didn't want to, to play pro ball and continue their careers to actually get those athletes in on their pit crews, which is fascinating. Um, yeah. Well, that's the kind of people that you want too. is like, they've been a part of a team before. They're probably a little bit more, I guess, self-motivated, right? Not all of them, but more times than not, like when you're a part of a team, you know how important the team aspect is for everybody to work together and the pit crew alone, like, you're you're on the fly like things are coming at you fast right and you got to learn how to you know make those decisions quickly similar to being on a football field or wherever so i could see some carry over there for sure as far as you know the mental capacity maybe obviously some physical attributes too but you know it's that's really interesting for sure yeah yeah it's it's fascinating people don't really think about that but those are some of the the strongest dudes i've ever seen i actually worked there before i came and, and i'll keep telling you my story, but I'm at Texas state now. Um, before I came here, I, I worked with Hendrick motorsports, um, and their strength conditioning department for a couple months. Yeah. Um, so, but we'll get to that. Um, so anyway, both my parents were strength coaches and, um, this was a good way for me to kind of tie in my mechanical engineering interest and my athletic interest. Um, yeah. because the body, you know, is a mechanical system. Um, so this it was kind of the perfect opportunity to to shift my focus from just purely mechanical engineering to something more involved with athletics. Um, so I went to Winston State, uh, majored in exercise science, and uh, going into my junior year. So we played in the fall; things were going well, and going into my junior year, I was uh, cleaning, power cleaning. Mm-hmm. at home over the winter and i went for a heavy single i hit it i was happy with it but i thought i could get it for a double so i hit it again and the bar came down and ended up tearing my scapholunate ligament in my wrist um, yeah so so went into my junior year i just I, I could either get surgery and sit the year out i didn't have a redshirt year because i'd already used that up at my original d2 so I was like, well, I might as well just kind of play through and get the surgery in the summer. Uh, did that, got the surgery, and then senior year, I was I was good to go. Um, nice. Yeah. So now do you do you think just that experience alone that you had with cleans? Because a lot of people are like very anti, like, hey, we don't program Olympic lifts law, or some guys are super married to it, right? So the pendulum definitely swings. Um, and I, I'm not against Olympic lifts. I used to be mainly just because it was like it honestly took way too long to try to teach proper form for some guys to make sure and ensure they weren't injured. Um, but curious to hear how that kind of evolved your coaching process, if you still use them or how you coach them um, over at Texas state. So 
I think that they're a useful tool, but they're not necessary. Um, sure. I like using them depending on the sport. Mm-hmm. So some sports, um, it really depends on the team too. So yeah, some sports, well, the team, and then also like out of that group of team, like if it's a smaller team, what's their training age? Are they used to doing you know Olympic lifts and stuff all the time? Those are all really big factors. Right, right, and and with baseball, so so here at Texas State, we do use the Olympic lifts and variations, um, especially the clean um, a lot. So even mm-hmm. in season, they'll still clean, um, but. I think it depends, like you said, a lot on the, the team and kind of the culture of the sport as a whole. So, like, for example, tennis is one of my teams here. There's not a lot of tennis players that come into college and have done Olympic lifts. Um, or strength training in general, probably. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them have never seen a weight room before. They've just played tennis yeah. since they were, you know, three years old or whatever. So, um, going through the process of teaching someone who's never Olympic lifted, much less never seen a weight room and going through and trying to teach them how to Olympic lift to get the benefits of it. You're going to waste a lot of time. In my opinion, there's, mm-hmm. there's different ways to get that same stimulus 100%. Um, that teach that, that take a lot less time to teach. Absolutely. And you're, you're only given a, like, you know, an hour with them with throughout the day. So you want to get as much return on that training time as possible versus spending, you know, 10 to 15 minutes out of that hour, or however long they have with you that day. Right. Trying to work on form when you could actually be getting some stuff where you can get some more, you know, testosterone or, you know, any other type of, uh, I guess, modality to help get them more specific adaptations that they need versus just working on a a skill. Because let's be honest, like Olympic lifting is a skill within itself outside of just weightlifting. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there's, you just, all you, when you break down the movement, there's a lot of different ways to get that same stimulus. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, and, and even, you know, parts of it too, you could do like a partial, like maybe off of like pins or something like that, where they're just doing a, a particular portion of the move, or maybe like even just doing the, the high pull portion and not the actual catch, right? There's a bunch of uh, variations you can do to still get pretty similar adaptations and not be as uh, risky injury-wise. Yes, yes. Um, 100% agree with that. And I like a lot of variations and even some uh, trap bar variations, you know, trap bar jumps. uh, Trap bar jumps, yeah. I could see that being really similar to, you know, any other type of Olympic Olympic lift, right? Like it's a little bit safer for some guys' shoulders or, you know, for wrists. And that's where – you know, it's, it's really hard on a team aspect to get super individual, but like if a guy has assists or, you know, things like that, like you got to find another way to help them be able to, to do something if they can't physically get into a specific range. Right. Right. So, yeah. It depends. A lot of it depends on the team that you have, the culture of the sport and individual needs of the athletes. Um, yeah. But also have uh, track and field and that's a big part of their culture. I mean, you, you got kids coming in from high school that have Olympic lifted for three, four years. Sure. Um, and with, with them coming in, having that skill already built, you know, you obviously you work on the technique a little bit. You make sure that you can load them safely, but you can go ahead and toss the Olympic lifts at them and, and they're good to go. Cause I, I do think bang for your buck. Um, I like the Olympic lifts. If I can use them, I will use them. Uh, sure. Just 
from a, a load standpoint, a coordination standpoint, power development, I, I think there's things that you can emulate that movement that are similar, that you can get similar adaptations, but I don't think you can get um, the same adaptation that you can from Olympic lift. Yeah, for sure. Well, and even going into more of like the track and field side of things, right? Like that uh, you have like your hammer throwers or your discus throwers, guys, like those dudes are absolute units and they probably need to have a lot more of a stimulus uh, than just having, you know, just going through a standard lift, so to speak. But then, you know, you have sprinters and they're, they're a whole nother animal too, where they need to have, you know, probably just a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I'll let you speak on that. Cause you have more experience on the track and field athletes than I do. How would you differentiate? Cause it's almost similar to like football, right? Where you have like your offensive linemen and then your running backs, quarterbacks, you have like sprinters, long distance runners, and then like your, your javelin throwers or, um, you know, discus throwers, hammer throwers, and those type of guys. How do you, do you put those guys in different like buckets or different um, groups or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. They, they train differently. Um, the throwers and, and you were, you're right on it. I mean, they, they need a bigger stimulus and they're, so if you look at their practices, the movements that they do um, are a lot they're a lot less, they, they present a lot less wear and tear on the body than like a sprinter or a multi-event athlete. Um, Cause in reality, you know, they're picking something up and they're throwing it, which. Yeah. Out- max effort. I- yeah. Maybe a couple throws here and there, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's a, there's a big wave of that in the baseball industry right now, like javelin stuff. I'm like, yeah, they can throw that way or like have that max effort type of, you know, just movement because they're only doing three or four throws. I mean, that might have a carryover to maybe a closer, but like if you're trying to be a starter or anything else like that, like you got to learn how to be a little bit more efficient or also have a very robust, you know, aerobic base where you're able to replenish really quickly between pitches. Mm-hmm. Different energy systems and, and different wear, wear and tear on the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like you said, with a closer, maybe, but. I mean, Even then it's like, you're, you're still going shorter time between uh bouts right or like throwers like they have they do one throw and then they're like who knows how much time in between i don't even know i'm not familiar with it as as much as baseball but like now they're implementing a time clock for pitchers so it's like okay that gives you a whole nother animal that you have to be able to replenish that atp right or whatever energy system that you're trying to tap into within that certain amount of time so you got to be in shape for that Versus having, you know, ample amount of time in between being a human rain delay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess outside of motor systems, outside of um, energy systems, those things, right? Like how else do you differentiate uh, the training based off of the sport? Do you look more into the environment or like, you know, how they interact with, you know, certain things, whether it's like tennis being on concrete, right. Track and field being on, you know, a little bit cushier, um, I guess ground or on on the track. Right. Do you think some of those not only take part in how you train them, but also like what they have risk of injuries. So like concrete being a lot more unforgiving than, you know, a track, uh, or, you know, I'll let you kind of run with that, but what, what environmental factors do you do you look at 
Yeah, look at look at definitely the surface that they're playing on. Um, like you said, with a tennis versus like a field sport athlete, um, the impacts are going to be a lot lot higher. I mean, the, the intensity, of the impacts are going to be a lot higher. So you got to prepare that lower leg um, for those impacts. And like a tennis versus a field sport, you know, field sport, you're going to have generally more volume if you're talking about like a soccer or a lacrosse or a rugby or football um, yeah. compared to a tennis because the court's so small, you know, the, the, the matches are long, but you're not getting a lot of distance covered. Um, so if you look at your overall volume, you're trying to train for those higher intensity impacts versus an overall lower intensity impact, but higher volume of those impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, so just preparing the, the connective tissue, the tendons for that demand um, is very important when you look at the different sports. Um, oh, for sure. And tennis is, you know, uh, another big thing that looks to me differently from the outside is like a lot more change of direction, right? In a short amount of time versus track and fields, it's like, we're going straight. We're getting after it. Might have a little bit of a curve here. They're doing just, you know, sprints around the track. Um, so there's there's definitely some changes there as far as agility is concerned too. Yeah, big time. And that's that's why like there's there's pluses and minuses to training both. But one of the big pluses is for training track versus like a a court sport or, or a field sport is your sagittal like. Yeah, there's some some different transverse motion in those movements, like when you're sprinting. Yeah, but, and more so on the trunk, I would think, right? Like yeah, more having those swings. Yep. But if you're looking at the lower body, you're putting force into the ground in the sagittal plane. So you can train that really, really heavy and hard versus having to kind of spread out your training to the frontal plane, to the transverse plane like you do in uh court sports and field sports so you can really focus on that sagittal plane force production on a sprinter versus like a tennis player where you have to think about those uh frontal plane movements those transverse mm-hmm. movements then planning cutting change of direction absolutely yeah well the biggest thing there too is like um, where i've seen a lot of issues with with baseball guys is like adductor length right a lot of that does have to do with their hip anatomy at first but like if they don't have long adductors, it's going to be really hard for them to move in that frontal plane, right? And also produce force there. Like not saying they they can't do it because there's other ways that their body can organize it. But like if you're limited there, you're you're probably not going to be very efficient side to side mover. So well, that's that's interesting. Have you so with the ones that have the short adductors? Have you seen not only in adductors, but have you seen issues elsewhere where they might be compensating? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so. For example, like a guy who has, you know, short adductors, he's probably not going to have a quote unquote vertical shin, so to speak, with his back leg. So he's going to find how to produce force with more internal rotation. And so his shin's going to be a little bit more leveled this way. Um, so like closer to the ground. And then that's going to affect how their their upper body moves. So for guys who have a lot of range in the T-spine and horizontal abduction, they could probably get away with it. If they're limited there, then, um, you know, they're probably having to compensate, yank their head or do something to try to produce force because they're not really getting a whole lot from their lower half uh, from okay. that. Not always. And I, I don't want to say that in like an absolute, but I'm just I'm kind of thinking, you know, in general here. Um, or, for example, even for a guy on the opposite end of that spectrum. So a guy who has more ER, has pretty decent 
uh, you know, adductor length, he's not going to have as much of a coil. Or if he tries to have a coil, then it's just he's going to be spraying balls because he's just going to be swinging open, things going everywhere, right? Um, and same thing with hitters too, right? Like if if they're lacking a specific, I guess, corner in their swing, right? They're gonna that that's just going to be where their their holes are with time under pressure, right? Um, but yeah, I guess with that too, it's that's where I kind of dive into, you know, ISO training or a different range of motion training. So for, for guys like, okay, Hey, like your adductor strength, isn't that great. You can't even do like Copenhagen plank or like an adductor hold for like 10 seconds. Okay, cool. Like let's start there before we try start to add some strength with like a deeper range, so to speak, like a, a lateral lunge ISO or something like that. So like you want to get the general strength down before you start to, you know, challenge it and different ranges of motion. At least that's, that's how I look at it for that, from that aspect. But what other, I know you, you've talked a lot about, you know, different phases of training, doing like different um, sticking points, I guess, so to speak. Right. Or like starting lifts either from the bottom or from the pins, maybe just having a lift off. So you're still getting a, a heavy load stimulus, but you're just, you know, maybe six inches, 12 inches. I've used that a lot for, for guys too, with like elbow pain, right. Or they can't really fully extend their elbow, like set up a bench press where all they have is the last six inches lift off and they strengthen that, that almost like lockout strength. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just get them out of that. Get them more, I guess, mentally too, like some more confidence in that top position where they feel that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely can be a confidence thing, right. It's, it's, for pitchers um i'm not sure if you played with him but there was a guy on our team the year before his name was sam burton and his arm literally was missing like probably 30 plus degrees elbow like extension (laughs) it was so bad right so it's like all right as he's doing all these other lifts and stuff it's gonna be really hard for him to even just get here right so there's a lot of tissue blocks and things like that you got to work around but you know building that strength with that range or, you know, strength within length, as I call it, like, you know, it it matters. That probably would be better than him trying to brute force, like doing a full range and then like having to extend, like you, you need to have a full range and then also those partial range liftoffs kind of sprinkled in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But for, from your aspect, do you, especially for your track and field, guys right do you have like maybe or i don't know you could relate this any sport if you're if you're watching an athlete in their sport and they're having really trouble like moving side to side or um you can see like maybe a fielder for example when they're coming in from third base and they're crashing they can't hold like that lunge position so they're just like constantly falling forward and they can't own a specific position how do you uh implement that into into the gym um i love tempos with pause especially early on um, just to get them to own those positions and get them set up where it will transfer to the field but also prepare them for the demands of training that we're going to be doing later on in the the phases closer to the competition um so getting 
getting in positions that I know we're going to hit. So for example, we split squat a lot. So um, we'll go goblet, keep the load low. It puts their torso in a really good position. We'll go three seconds down, two second pause at the bottom. So they'll touch their knee. They'll come up about an inch off the ground, hold that bottom position and then fire back up. Um, Just teaching them to control the movement down on that bottom position and then groove the movement on the way up. Um, I've seen a lot of good things come out of that. That's, I have a, a freshman or newcomer, really, even if they're a little bit older, but their training age is low, a newcomer program that involves uh, tempos and ISOs mm-hmm. and all the positions that we're going to see through training. And uh, I put them usually about two two to three months on that, and I've seen a, a lot of good things come out of that from a movement quality standpoint. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, because you're getting them to own those positions a lot more, right? And whereas before – you know, we've all seen the athletes where like, hey, it just looks like he's like he's got his legs on backwards or he runs like like a like a baby deer. Yeah. You know, he's just all over the place because he just has so much like I call it muscle slack or whatever. Like they're going to be shifting all over the place versus the ISO is like, hey, you know, have that isometric co-contraction on both antagonists and um, agonist muscles. Right. They're they're working together to just like, boom, hold that position. Mm-hmm. as best as they possibly can yeah neuromuscularly it's, it's really good just from just just it trains your nervous system how to get into that position mm-hmm. and function correctly yep skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about a company i co-founded ink sports performance so here's the scoop at Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also perform- former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one-size-fits-all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one-on-one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level nothing cookie cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know is serious about competing at the next level, have, hit us up on our website, give us a call, get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. And also just a heads up, we're also very selectful, selective who we take, right? We only take a handful of dedicated athletes. And if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level. Oh yeah, spot on. And so I guess split squats are really good examples. Um, what other lifts do you, would you do like partial, you know, range of motion or, or different types of ranges of motion with? So our squats is a big one. Um, back squat for, uh, track, track and field mm-hmm. is a, a really big movement for us. So my philosophy is go from full range of motion to functional range of motion. As okay. you progress toward your season. So uh, full range, it gives you a nice, robust athlete. You're going to have good muscle development from the muscle bellies down to the tendons, especially if you incorporate those ISOs. Um, and from an injury prevention standpoint, I think those full ranges, um, when loaded properly, there, there's really nothing that can beat it. You can't get that that robustness from a partial range of motion. Now, sure. as, yeah. as you get closer to the season, as you progress your training phases, I like to decrease your range of motion 
Um, so go from full squats, full depth to half squats and then quarter squats or sports squats is what I call them. Sports um, squat. Yeah. That's what Cal calls them. Yeah. 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 As you get into your peaking phase, getting those sports squats, um, just letting them see load um, in the range of motion that they're going to use on the track or on the field or on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's my philosophy. And you can get the, the, the load. Uh, you can add a lot more load in those partial ranges. So you're forced. Oh yeah. Significantly. Tons more load. I've gotten up to who shoot probably like 550 pounds or more just from like partial liftoffs with the back squats. Like you're at the top and you're just like locking out your knees. Mm -hmm. So like it makes you feel better about yourself. You get a little bit of an ego boost, I guess. And you're like, Oh man. Yeah. But like also in the back of your head, like, Hey, this is just a partial lift though. It's just, just that. But there's a lot to be said, even though it is like, you know, six inches or however many far away you're doing a liftoff, like your body still responds to that, that load regardless if it was full range or, or not mm-hmm. that actual loading from a hormonal standpoint you're still getting a lot of bang for your buck 100 100 and that's the the uh a lot of people think of like training and they automatically think like muscles tendons and ligaments but really the majority of it and if you you know when we first started learning about this is like hey when a novice first starts like their first month to six weeks is mostly neurological gains. And then it starts to jump into the hormonal stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of taking a, a zoom out and not looking at just muscle size or, you know, the amount of weight they can move and like, Hey, like what's their hormones like? What, what are, what are the, um, you know, or what, what hormones are they maybe out of whack on like cortisol, stress levels, taking tests, right. Which, you know, I think, that's one thing the NCAA does a decent job of is like, Hey, when it's test time, like they shouldn't really be doing a whole lot else practice wise because stress is stress. Right. Um, if whether it's a test or, you know, um, a game or event, when you talk about track and field, right. Like those things are, they're still pretty stressful on the, on the brain. So it's that, it's that sensorial nervous system, um, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Central nervous system, like taxing and then like having to replenish and get back up to that. It's probably the right. best way to go right. about it. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, that old school mentality of like, you know, you just got to get it done. I mean, you, you're trying to fight biology sometimes and mm-hmm. you can't, you can't do that. You're not going to win that battle. So you, you got to think like, okay, well, what's going to benefit me more getting in and saying, okay, we have a, a workout today we have a weight room session so it doesn't matter what happened doesn't matter if you you're in exams or you know whatever's going on you're going to do this weight room session regardless is it more sure. beneficial to do that or say okay maybe get some sleep or maybe still come in but do more of like a restorative lift yeah right yeah. a restorative lift recovery session something like that so um, not trying to fight biology and, and just stick with that mentality. Like, Oh, we have to do this, but think, okay, what's best for the athlete physically and mentally right now. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of coaches might be, I guess, strength coaches on the team setting might be afraid to do this because some kids might just take advantage of it and slack off. But I've heard some where they would give like 
players options based on how they feel they're like okay hey you feel really good or we're supposed to do something really high intense today you have this option or hey you feel you feel like shit. you don't feel like you can really output a whole lot we'll either you know the easiest one is just cut back volume or they're like hey we're going to give you a totally different lift that's less impact less stressful um you know but you can see where some guys can take advantage of or like the guys you have to pull the reins back they're going to do the high intensity stuff all the time and they're never going to want to do the low intense stuff or the sloths are going to want to always do the the low intensity stuff they're always feeling fatigued and they never go up to push themselves so is that something that you have tried to implement or have thought about implementing uh with i also have women's golf and they have uh, oh, nice. so they use whoop um to d- determine yes i know you have one so you yeah. know all about yeah. that yeah um i need to get one i want to get one and kind of track because i'm i'm doing hard just for myself right now so yeah let me know i'll shoot you the discount code oh sweet man yeah yeah, yeah i'm gonna do that up um but they have that and um the coach he's very involved in their their strength training he's all about the weight room and, and he likes to kind of be he likes to be the overseer on, on all that which is great for them um, because they get you know constant feedback but sure uh, based on their score of the night before they could have one of three options they can do the lift we have planned they can come in and do the restorative session or they stay home and sleep um now i'm not a huge fan of just letting them stay home and sleep because i think there's some benefit to just general movement yeah for sure yeah yeah get up get moving i mean unless they had like a I don't know, a super red recovery score, like it's 3% or 1%. Like, yeah, you're, you're probably best to sleep, but I'm totally with you. You need some type of movement because humans are made to move regardless of what kind of movement it is. But yeah. And even from just a, like, we're not just trying to make them better athletes. We're trying to prepare them for the world outside of college. Mm -hmm. So if you, especially the ones that will, will, kind of take advantage like if you're telling them it's okay oh you didn't recover really well you didn't sleep well just stay home if you're giving an athlete that option it's not preparing them for the real world like mm-hmm. if i have a crappy night of sleep like the other night i got like three hours of sleep i couldn't call my boss and say hey you know what i, I didn't really recover well last night i'm gonna get some more sleep like i had to go in and, get, and do my job it's just yeah the it is. oh that's the yeah that's the drawback i think with a lot of this you know, the wearable tech stuff, whether it's whoop or a ring, you know, you name it. I'm not trying to, you know, shit on any particular one. It's more of like how the athletes interpret that. So, so let's say, for example, you have a women's golfer that uses that and she has a, um, like a practice that day and she has a yellow recovery score. But she feels great. Everything's awesome. But it's just like yellow. So then, like, does she start to take that and kind of internalize and like, oh man, I'll have a yellow today. So like, I don't know how good I'm gonna do. Um, you have your competitors that are just like, I don't give a shit about the score, right? <laughs> and they're just gonna go out and do it, mm-hmm. um, which is what you need. But sometimes, like, some people internalize that or they they take that a little too far. Like maybe they were like one percent away from being a green so they're like oh man i gotta do something else or 
you know, I, it's lack of better terms, they super dumb themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. they just, yeah. they, they rely too much on that and not so much on what their body actually says. So, yeah, it is, it is one of those things where it's a constant tug of war. It's like, yeah, hey, like, listen to your body, but also like, this is kind of what the data says. Um, and there's differences between like the measurements too. Cause sometimes it's comparing just this week or that day to the week before. And then other ones are like, Hey, we're comparing this to like the past month. Mm, okay. Um, so there, there's definitely some, uh, some standard deviation or la- the, uh, the con the contour confidence interval is a little bit off, uh, from device to device or from person to person, really like, you know, a lot of people that first start using it, I'm like, Hey, use it for three weeks. Don't really look at it for the first three weeks when you start using it. Cause it's comparing you to other people's data or like the mass data. It's not really comparing, you know, apples to apples or your data to your data just yet. But the more you wear it, the, the better chance it's going to have to have that like better comparison of that. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to get that established for a while until it, it kind of, you know, the technology gets to know you a little bit. hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel, I feel like that's pretty much in anything or even outside of technology. It's like going to a new school. Okay. Like how are you adapting to certain lifts or how are you adapting to the new like coaching style? Or even if you're at the same school, you just got a whole new coach. That's a whole nother thing to get adapted to. Right. So and a lot of people are trying to pull the trigger too soon or they're like, Oh yeah, this isn't for me or oh, I, I, I'm not playing at all in the fall, but they don't really stick it out. So they, they program hop, so to speak, or school hop. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah. sometimes you just gotta put your feet down and or be where your feet are. Yeah. And yeah, do, do the best of where you're, where you're at. Yeah. Because yeah. the grass isn't always greener on the other side. No, it's green where you water. So that's it. Well, got to let it grow. <laughs> got to, got to. Yeah. Well, Matt, what else has um, has been going on with you as far as you know, whether it's strength training or any any of the other sports that you're working with? What uh, what has been piquing your interest recently? Uh, we've been using uh, velocity based training with with tennis. I just started doing that. We have some push systems. Okay. So you guys, the, you guys have the push units. The is it the wireless ones or which ones do you guys have? The wireless ones. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So we've been. Have you tried? Do, you, do you, have you seen if there's any difference between the wireless push and then like the ones with actual rope, like a tendo or things like that, or if they're pretty close? From what I found, they're actually fairly maybe like point one, point two off, but like. Is that really that that big of a difference? If yeah, you're using that same unit all the time, I wouldn't say that's that you know significant. If it's that close, like that's, I don't think that's it's that big of a deal. Um, we had rep ones at, when I was at Georgia State University before this, and mm-hmm. those have the string on them. Um, yeah. I like those a little better. The the push units when it's wireless, they seem to miss a rep here or there or misinterpret wow. a rep. Like you can get a lift off that's a little too, the range of motion of a lift off that's a little too much, and those the push units will pick them up as a rep. Oh, and then you got to okay. go back and clean up the data afterwards. Whereas the, the rep, rep ones, ones are just like 
yeah, the full yeah. rope length. Or because I guess it measured it like, okay, this is the start starting length, and then from like when it goes down to when it goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a few at um, the place I worked at where they would get tangled, like the ropes would kind of get tangled. So you have to go in and like undo it and, and then do that. So like, that was really the only bad experience I had with the, with the one rep. But other than that, yeah, I really liked it. Um, yeah, that can be a pain, especially when you're doing like a more complex movement and then all of a sudden the string is like it's all tangled. Yeah. 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 It was definitely tough, but Hey, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really cool objective way to measure that. Whereas, you know, before any of that tech was involved in the weight room, it was just like, Hey, let me hear the weights clang. <laughs> like, you know, that was like your, your best objective measurement there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah real objective. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like I could just like get to the top and then like lift it with my arms and still make it cling. I had the same bar speed though. Yeah, great rep. That's a great rep. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I love the velocity based stuff um, from a readiness standpoint too, because it's just, it's auto regulatory method of training. If you, if you do it using, uh, you know, your, your uh, ranges, your stimulus ranges. So Mm -hmm. your, your speed, strength, strength, speed, power, um, absolute strength, all that stuff. um, You can just based on the day, like you can determine athletes load and you, there's no percentages. There's no, you don't even need the, the weight. You don't even know, need to know the weight on the bar. You just look at that block. Look at the number. Yeah. Which I think is really cool too. Cause like, you know, I always knew there was something that was missing from the percentages, but I was like, I don't really have anything to replace it with. It was just like, you know, some days that 80% is going to feel like a hundred percent. And other days, the 80% is going to feel like 70% where it's just, it's going up really fast, but now that you, you know, I would definitely use the the VBT over percentages as best I could, but you know, work with what you got, I guess. Right. Um, there's also like from being in more of the private sector side of things. Um, I've had some guys use like the, uh, I forget the name of the app, but it was, it was a, like a jumping app that you go in and like, see, like it would measure your vertical, but you could also use that for a a replacement of a VBT. So you would film that in a, like a squat on the side and you could go like basically identify the bar as the person and then like how many inches it gone, it it went per second and you could get fairly close to that, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which being working, working remotely, like, you know, having, or even um, I tried to get it with even just them normal film off of their phone. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of weird because I'd have to just time it myself on the video, but that one had a lot more variance to it. But the app yeah. one, I think it was, I think it was called My Jump. I can't remember. But the uh, one of the Los Angeles Dodgers strength coaches gave me that cool little hack, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I could see there being some more variance there, but I mean, if it's the only thing you got, like it's you know, it's better than nothing. Work with what what you got for sure. Yeah, because their their biggest challenge, right? Like double A, triple A, major league bubble, they got all the fancy equipment at their facility, right? Especially you know at the 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 programs that have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say they go travel, 
they go to Baltimore or the Royals or whatever, and the visiting locker room is just absolute trash, right? They either have to pack up some of their stuff, which is a lot, not only money cost-wise, but just a lot to tote around for a whole travel trip. And then it's like, okay, once that's out, like what's our minimal amount of equipment that we can take and still get a lot of stuff done. Right. So there, that was like their biggest thing is like, Hey, can we pack it up in a plane? If we can't pack it up in a plane, then we got to find, you know, something else that can get that same adaptation that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that's the, the toughest thing when traveling. It's like, you got all this, not you like your setup at your place is perfect. You got everything you need. You got your system. And then you go somewhere else. You got to figure out how to do the same thing with possibly limited equipment. Oh, hundred percent. It's, it's definitely, you know, out of 162 games, you got 80 of those on the road. So it's like, all right, like some days we got to get it in this way. And other days we got everything that we need and have no restrictions. Mm-hmm. So make the best of those times or, you know, figure out a way to make it work. Yep. FIFO. That was the best advice I ever heard. Uh, my buddy, AJ Lewis, he was a, uh, he was an intern with me at Appalachian state. Oh, nice. He was at, um, Eastern Michigan. He did an internship there and the strength coach there. Um, anytime AJ would ask a question, he'd be like, he just tell the guy would tell him FIFO and it's figure it the fuck out. Yep. <laughs> if I find a way. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes you just got to FIFO it. That's it, dude. I mean, a lot of times, you know, that's just kind of like a metaphor for life. Honestly, you got to figure it, figure out a way to make the, something work, whether it's, you know, something to do with the weight room or like, Hey, the Tendo unit broke. All right, cool. You know what it feels like to actually move it that fast. So try to get it as that way as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, Hey, the <laughs> favorite one, like the Juco life bus broke down. Okay, cool. How do we get home? <laughs> got to figure it out we're going to call our girlfriends and our parents that are in the area and we'll get home and we'll just leave the bus there (laughs) they they can five for the bus (laughs) yeah certain things you you don't necessarily need to figure out but yeah figure it out for yourself kind of thing yeah yeah and i think like just part of being a a good coach is when you have things that happen like say your tendo goes out or Mm -hmm. maybe you have limited equipment for whatever reason like especially in the moment is just going nice and smooth to plan B, plan C, plan D and letting like not letting the athlete see that, Oh, there's something wrong here. Like keeping them in the zone and letting them continue to train while you figure out the rest of it. Like you said, Tendo goes out and it's not working. Like don't stop the athlete in the middle of their set and be like, Hey, hold on for two minutes while I fix this Tendo. Like just let them roll. And then after their set, you can, play with it. If it still doesn't work, then just let them keep working and say, Hey, just move things fast as possible. So um, just the intricacies of coaching, I think um, that's where you get into that. And that's a really interesting part about what we do. It's not just the, you know, the X's and O's, the LB's and KG's. It's about how you interact with the athlete and how you get them to do what they need to do. hundred percent. That's the the nuance and the art of coaching, man, which is why robots can always do our job. <laughs> sure can awesome yeah. well matt i appreciate you coming on dude really enjoyed it um go ahead and shoot us your your social tags your your twitter instagram whichever ones you use the most 
uh, where people can find you. Yeah, my Instagram. I don't. I don't. I have a Twitter, but I don't really use it. Um, my Instagram is uh, at Coach underscore Malden M A U L D I N. Um, that's my Instagram. Pretty active on there. Um, I haven't done Facebook in about five years because I'm. Uh, oh yeah, I mean most. I'm yeah, not, I'm not fifty years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just Instagram. Um, that's me. I, you know, don't really post a, a ton of stuff, but I'll post something here or there. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, appreciate you coming on. And for those of you listening, stay in the zone.